Who here has ever heard of a man named C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis. Most hands are up in the room. So C.S. Lewis was a great thinker, writer, author, theologian in the early 1900s. And actually he's wrote a book called Mere Christianity, which has been one of the most formative books that I have ever read. Coming to faith, putting my trust in Jesus and him calling me to that. But what he's more famous for is a book that he's written called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's in a series of books called The Chronicles of Narnia. And you guys are probably picturing like Edmund or something from the movie. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen the movie as well. And in the movie, there's a character that I want to talk about. His name is Aslan. And Aslan is not a person. He's a lion. Okay, and so though there's some things that we can draw from, from Aslan, we're not just going to be talking about Aslan for the sermon, but he helps paint the picture of who Jesus is. Aslan is a great figure because he bears a strong resemblance to Christ. When you see this roaring lion with a great mane about his neck, he's got a deep, thunderous voice. He's majestic. He's powerful. He's royal. He speaks with authority. And these are all things that we can take when we see this picture of a lion and then have a better understanding of what Jesus is like. Believe it or not, the idea of Jesus being like a lion is not just one made up in fiction novels. It's actually in the Bible. And we're going to talk about that tonight. As you know, our theme for this retreat is the lion and the lamb. <clears throat> the lion and the lamb. So the first sermon tonight, we're going to be looking at Jesus as lion. Tomorrow we will tackle the lamb. The lion represents royalty. They are the icon of power, of strength, of might, of authority, of resilience. So when Jesus is called a lion, that is a fitting expression because he expresses all of those things. Let's dive into our text in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, to see more. Starting in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, stir up your word, make it alive and active, piercing our hearts. Would you speak to these students tonight, to these leaders tonight, even to me tonight, God? We trust that you are able, you are capable, Lord, and we want to behold you as the Lion of Judah. Help us to do that. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. 
This is a very vivid picture of Jesus. And it puts the attributes of a lion on full display. If you're taking notes, you can write down the title as the lion, which actually you might already have that in your little booklet. There's a section in your booklet that you can take notes if you don't have a notebook. And I really just want to drive home kind of one idea. We're going to split it into two points. What does it mean that Jesus is the lion? What does it mean? And then the second one is, what does it do for us? What does it do for us? Pretty practical. The first one, what does it mean? So this text, as we look at it, you're probably like, okay, these are some crazy descriptions. I'm not really following It does take some study, but we're going to dig through God's word, and I trust that you will see the treasures within it. The Son of Man is here before us. And the Apostle John is the one who writes this book. He's the same one who wrote the letter, the the Gospel of John. Okay, So this is John now at the end of his life, and Jesus invites him into a revelation, a vision. He provides this vision for John. And how it starts out in our passage in verse 12... Is it says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. So John is in this vision, and he hears a voice behind him. And he turns around, and he sees something. What does he see? He, says, he sees a son of man surrounded by seven golden lampstands. And the meaning of the golden lampstands is revealed in verse 20. This is the churches in the, na- in the world at that time. But what's interesting is that the son of man is in the midst of the church. It's a picture there that Jesus is dwelling in his church. Now, we should also take a look at the note, or note the language son of man. If you see that in verse 13, underline that. Son of man. Verse 13, son of man. So, what's significant about this title, son of man, is it's something that was referred to more often in the Old Testament, actually most prominently in the book of Ezekiel. God uses this phrase, son of man, 93 times in one book, in the book of Ezekiel. And the reason that he uses it, the, the, the heart behind his saying it, is telling this prophet, Ezekiel, son of man, meaning you are lower than me. You are a son of the world. You are son of the earth. God is obviously in heaven. Ezekiel is on earth with evil people around him. And yet, we will see that this is not just a generic address to a creature of human nature. Son of man doesn't just mean son of man. We're going to see that. In our passage, I see four clear themes or descriptors of this line. If you're taking notes, these can be subpoints for you. Number one. He is clothed in splendor. He is clothed in splendor. The Son of Man was no insignificant man. He was clothed in some spectacular apparel. You see this in verse 13. He was clothed with a long robe with a golden sash around his chest. That is to say, if he were living today, this would be Louis Vuitton and Gucci. Okay, He is in royal garb, much above my pay grade. He is wearing the robe... Common to elites, to majesty, to royalty. He is dressed in the finest of garments. He is clothed in splendor. This clothing expressly shouted his nature of royalty and righteousness. It was kingly. It was lion-like. 
But it wasn't just how he dressed that was spectacular. In this vision, we see much more than just the appearance of what he is wearing. And in fact, it actually addresses his appearance. Number two, he is radiant in glory. This son of man is dressed in royal garments, but he's also radiant of himself, not just his clothes that he's wearing. If we continue in verse 14, we see this. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. What is interesting about this is that it's a clear allusion to Daniel 7, where Daniel sees a different vision. It's actually very similar And you'll have time, perhaps, to look at this in small group. I don't have time to go into all the ins and outs about it. But it's crazy that he uses the exact same language 700 years prior to the writing of this. So these two men both are in this vision, seeing God in heaven, and they see the same thing 700 years apart. Doesn't that speak to something? The fact that God is eternal. He is outside of time. And that's another image of the white hairs. He's wise. He's lived forever. He lived before we were a thought, before the world existed. And he will live and he will reign forever. His hair is white, pure wool. Why does it matter that they both have white hair? That the, that the ancient of days in Daniel 7 and the Jesus that we see now both have white hair. It's because they are of one essence. The Son of Man is a son of God. In addition to the white hair, he has eyes like a flame of fire. His eyes produce light. Can you imagine that? When you're stumbling into your cabin, trying to like find your way down the road. What if your eyes just made light? That would be so helpful. Jesus' eyes, the Son of Man's eyes, are producing light. Which is to say that he can perceive into the deepest darkness, blackness of the world. And not just the world generically, not just outer space where there's no light or distant light, but also into the light of your soul. He can see. He can perceive. He knows. He has perfect knowledge. He is capable to search and to see all the souls of mankind in all of our doings. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is the word that Jesus has. And he expresses because he is the word. Here we behold the word. The word who became flesh. And now in this image, in this vision is revealed as royal. As divine. As deity. As almighty God with all wisdom, with all discernment and all splendor. Continuing, we find that number three, he speaks with power. He speaks with power. The verse says, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Verse 15, his voice was like the roar of many waters. Has anyone here ever been to Niagara Falls? Good number of hands. I was surprised. I wasn't sure if anyone was going to say yes. I've also been to Niagara Falls. And one of the coolest things that I thought about Niagara Falls is that you can actually take this tunnel. And so you start up at the top. Usually most people look down from the top. But you can take this tunnel and it goes underground and weaves and winds its way around until you actually can see the back of the waterfall falling in front of you. And what's crazy is that you enter into this tunnel. You start going downstairs and you just start to hear 
And it keeps getting louder and louder and louder until you get up and you turn around the corner and it is deafening. It is a roar of sound that is coming from this water that is plunging over this cliff. And that is the picture of the power of the voice of God. This is what the speech, the voice of the Son of Man is like. Hebrews 1.4 tells us that He upholds the universe by the word of His power. Can you imagine that? That there is a creature, there is a being, who speaks and with His speech upholds everything. Sustains everything. When you see a tree outside, that tree needed nutrients, it needed water, it needs carbon dioxide to grow. And Jesus upholds that with his words. His words are powerful. He speaks with power. Likewise, we're told in 1 Thessalonians 2.8 that he will destroy the greatest of foes with the word of his mouth. So not only does he sustain, but he has the power to destroy just with his mouth. The power of his speech is expressed later in our passage in Revelations 1.16. It says this, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Have you ever heard that language before? Sharp two-edged sword? Hebrews 4.12. The word of God is a sword, living and active, able to sever you down the middle, dividing joint and marrow, soul and spirit. The word of God is able to do this. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. This is the sword That our Lord, the lion, equips in his mouth. And the whole description of what's going on here, this lion figure that we're seeing, is summed up well in the end of verse 16. It says this, his face was like the sun shining in full strength. It was like the sun shining in full strength. I don't know if you imagine trying to have a staring contest with the sun. You're going to lose. And you're 93 million miles away from the sun. Imagine being three feet Six feet away from this sun, this glory that is radiant, that is piercing this man. And this is happening to a man. His name is John. He's in this vision, experiencing the Son of God, the true Son, beaming in glory. His appearance was glorious, glorious to an incomprehensible degree. And what is John's response? What does he say? Oh, that's great. You say, oh, I'll turn away. But you say, that's insignificant. I'll live my life and do my own thing. No. He falls down on the ground. Literally passes out, faints. He fell as though dead. John fainted. The picture we see here is in light of the glorious, majestic, royal, lion-like nature of the Son of Man. We fall on our faces and recognize that He is God. That he's creator. And we see this. We see this over and over and over again in our lives. Romans 1.18 is very clear about this. 18 and following. That we see the divine nature of God clearly perceived in creation. God has expressed his glory. It's not just something talked about. We have seen the glory of God in nature. And we are to worship, to fall down as though dead. And yet, right here is where we see our fourth theme. Number four, he conquers 
the grave. He conquers the grave. So not only does he have power over creation to build up, to destroy, but he also has power to resurrect. He conquers the grave. And this is where the true glory of the lion is on full display. This is where it is confirmed that this is not just any son of man, but the son of God. Become man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is both fully human and fully divine. Look at verse 17. When John falls down on the ground, how does this son of man respond? He laid his right hand on me. You see that? Do you notice that? He lays, falls down. He lays his hand on me. He draws near. Fear not are the words that come out of this son of glory, this lion. Fear not. We should be afraid of the glory of God. Because truly, without Jesus, it is terrifying. Because we recognize that we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we need a mediator. We need someone to intercede on us. And praise be to Jesus that he lays his right hand on us. Jesus says, I am the first and the last, the one who is the beginning with God, the one who will dwell, reigning, crowned as the glory of God forever. There's a prophecy about this in Genesis 49, verse 10. It says, the scepter will never depart from Judah. And this, all the way at the end of the, end of the Bible, 65 books later, we see the fulfillment of this. Jesus reigning. The scepter will not depart. He will reign forever. The throne of David will never lack an heir because it is Christ. And yet what should strike us is in the next line it says, I die. Jesus died? The king of glory, the lion of Judah died? The one who is infinite, the one who is the first and the last, who existed forever in eternity past and will exist forever in eternity future, how could he die because he became a man the word became flesh and dwelt among us Jesus Christ has made himself like us like you and me because he desired to and he is not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with his people but who is made like us in every respect Do you know that Jesus was a teenager? Jesus probably had acne. Probably had a long nose hair or something. Jesus was made like us. He suffered in the ways that we do. He was tempted in the ways like we are. He struggled with the things that we struggle with. Because he chose to. In every respect, he has been made like us. He has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The immortal one has clothed himself willingly in mortality. And this is why Jesus can say, do not fear to John. Do not fear because I have become your representative. Do not fear because the greatest enemy of of man is sin, which bears fruit in death. The greatest enemy of man is death because we're all going to die. We're all coming to the grave. But Jesus has granted power over death, over sin and suffering, over darkness and decay. He has conquered. 
The Son of God is a lion. He is clothed in splendor. He is radiant in glory. He speaks with power. And he has conquered the grave. But why is this good news? Why does God being glorious affect me? How does it affect me? Why should it affect me? How can it affect me? Because all I've been talking about is who God is. And what he does and what he's like. But why is that good news for me? Here's how. Number two, big, big point. How does it apply? Here's how. You entered this world in sin. You were born to parents who were sinners. And you also were born as a sinner. Both by nature and by choice. According to Ephesians 2, we stand as an enemy of God. We live in sin, we choose sin over God, and naturally, we are separated from Him. And here's the thing, our clothing, our spiritual clothing, is described in Isaiah 64 as filthy rags. Tattered rags that can't cover us at all. They can't protect us. They can't hide us. And just as Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together in the garden trying to cover their shame, so we all attempt to hide ourselves from God. Because we know what we're really like. We know the ways that we cheat and steal and lie. The people that we swear around. The friends that pull us down that we're happy to go with. And if we put our trust in our own doing, we have no hope. The problem is we attempt to make our sin less significant than it is. And maybe some of you here tonight are recognizing that you have tried to hide your sin and to sweep it under the rug and to pretend that it doesn't matter. And maybe you've done this by attending church every Sunday or coming to youth group regularly or sharing in small group when you know that there's really something deeper going on and you're just going to pass a surface answer along so that you don't have to go deep. Maybe that's you. Putting a smiling face will ultimately not change your heart. The problem is, is we need new garments. We need to be clothed in splendor. We need what Jesus has. And when we look to Christ, when we say, I'm going to stop trusting in me and I'm going to start trusting in you, what does he do? He wraps his righteousness, his robe, his Gucci Louis Vuitton. He wraps that around you. And he invites you into his presence as one approved, as one clothed. That's good news, student. That is good news. When we are granted a heavenly robe, the robe of Christ's righteousness, it adorns our unworthy shoulders all the way to heaven. You'll never lose it. You'll never be able to cast it off because Jesus will in no wise cast you out. All who come to him are his. There's a song. It's a hymn that, it, that speaks to this truth. It says this. His robes for mine. A wonderful exchange. Clothed in God's wrath. Christ has suffered neath God's rage. But draped in his righteousness. I'm justified. In Christ I live. 
for in my place he died. Jesus had to submit himself to the rage, the wrath of God so that we could be drawn in. And after being clothed in Jesus' garments, the radiance of Christ's glory also comes to us. This is what we forget is that there is a promise that comes with salvation, is that God will make us like Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 speaks to this truth. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another. All the way home to heaven, God will be changing you to make you look more like Him. Student, though you believe in Jesus as Lord, do you feel trapped by your sin? Do you feel that there's no escape? That there's no way that you can get out? That, that the circumstances in your life are crippling you to such a degree that you don't know where to go? The good news is that Jesus is making you like him. And he is doing this process through joys and through sorrows. And he will do this process unrelentingly from the moment you get saved until you are in heaven. And he is doing this because he loves you and he longs to see you made like him. And what's more is that this is not just happening to you, but it's happening to every brother and sister in this room and in this world. God is doing the same work. He is perfecting the same people all across the globe. And everyone who puts their trust in Jesus is given this promise. And one day we will all stand before the Lord and there will be no more sin. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more sadness. And we will be with him. I'm ready for that day. Though we should look to heaven, the blessings of us being joined to the lion are not just reserved for the next life. God has granted us his word, and with it, we can speak with power. It's not just the lion. The word of God, scripture, is a divine help. It is the sword of the spirit. We talked about that earlier. And it pierces hearts in conviction and cuts away the works of the enemy. It is our guide, our instruction, and with it, there are innumerable promises of comfort, peace, security, and encouragement. Do you know that? That in God's word, he provides great helps to us. Student, if you are struggling with worry or anxiety, you feel overwhelmed with the cares of this life, would you remember Matthew 6? Which reminds us that as we look to the birds flying around in the air, God has provided everything that they need. Will he not more provide for you? Student, if you feel worthless, would you remind yourself that you are very precious in the sight of God and that He has taken care of you ultimately through His Son, Jesus? If you feel overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, would you remind yourself of Romans 8.1? That there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, that the weight of your sin is no longer upon you. It has been cast to another And not only the punishment, the ultimate punishment of our sin, but because of Jesus, God in heaven, the lion, looks at you, believer, and only has a smile. 
He doesn't disapprove of you. He doesn't begrudgingly welcome you, but welcomes you on behalf of the work of Jesus, which was perfect, wholeheartedly, and he is happy to do so. Within this book is the balm to every ailment, the medicine to every sickness in our soul, and yet we struggle to continue going back to it. Would you remind yourself that this book has good news, really good news. This book is the very voice of God. Lastly, we're given a great hope when we are joined to Jesus by faith. It is not just that he overcomes the grave, but rather that we overcome the grave. Romans 6 has a great word on this, starting in verse 6. It says this, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Ben, you can make your way on up. And I don't want you to check out now. I know you hear those words that we're working towards the end. But you should know that when you submit your life to Jesus, when he saves you, when you confess that he is now the Lord, he is the mind, as he truly is. And I would plead with you that you would make that confession, that you would trust in him as Savior. When we submit our lives to him, we are in a very real sense dying. Because now... When I come to Rooted Retreat, my main focus isn't paintball. It's God. My main focus isn't who I'm sleeping in the same cabin with. It's God. When I even come to a Wednesday night, it's not about what friends I'm going to sit next to. It's about studying who God is. And sometimes that's hard. And sometimes there is a death that we have to face. It will be unpopular to be a Christian. It will be inconvenient. You need to know that. It's not always going to be helpful to be a Christian. And actually, in this world, it's becoming increasingly less helpful to be a Christian. It's becoming harder and harder. You may even be persecuted for it. It will leave you saying no to friends and parties and opportunities that you would otherwise have said yes to. It will mean that people don't respect you or appreciate you. And this is what it means to have our old self crucified with Jesus. No longer is this my hope. No longer is this my plea. Rather, I will die to that sin. I will die to that thing. And I will die to the idea that that these things of the world are the most important things in my life. When we trust in Jesus, we are agreeing that Christ is the greatest treasure. He is the most important. And when we do this, by grace through faith, we are evidencing that we have been joined with Jesus. And all who are joined with Jesus will one day be with him. Forever. They receive the strength and the power to welcome The death of this body. Can you actually think about welcoming your own death? 
we tend to fear it because we feel like we're going to miss out. <laughs> if I were to die tomorrow, do I feel like I would miss out? Well, Paul has a word on this, Philippians 1. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because ultimately, my stock is in heaven and I want to be there. Death is no longer our great enemy. It has been conquered. And now death even serves us. It brings us to the one that we long to be with, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. All of us who have submitted our lives to Jesus will meet the lion one day. And we will meet him with eyes equipped to see, with ears equipped to hear, with a body made to worship. My question tonight is, will you be there with me? Will you enter with me? Not because of what you've done, not because of the family that you're from, but because of you have trusted in Jesus as Lord, because he has resurrected you. Do you see Jesus as the lion? Do you recognize that he is worthy of your life, of your worship, Do you want Him to be strong, mighty, powerful, holy? If you do, trust. Even tonight, trust in Him. Lean upon Him. Don't be more concerned about finding your friend after the session than about finding Jesus. Don't be more concerned about walking with the right person as we leave, but walk with Jesus. Jesus is the lion. And he is reigning and ruling in heaven. And all of you will meet him one day. You will. You will stand before this lion. And the scripture is very clear that every knee will bow. And every tongue will make this confession. That Jesus is Lord. In fact, not just every human, but all of creation will attest to this fact that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus, even tonight and this weekend, is providing an opportunity for you to submit to that name before them. Because those who trust in Jesus in this life will be with him forever in joy. And those who reject him will not. And this is weighty, but they will be subject because of their own sin to condemnation. I want to see you guys know Jesus. I want to see you love him. And behold him as lion. Who is ruling and reigning. And who longs to be with you. Let's pray. Lord.